Hello, and welcome to The Crude Report, Argus's weekly podcast series on global crude oil markets. This is Jessica Tran with Argus Media. Late last week, OPEC Plus surprised markets with a decision to begin gradually raising its production quotas between May and July. The initial market reaction was good, with Brent closing more than $2 per barrel higher on the day of the announcement, although prices have edged lower since. With me today to outline and analyze last week's meeting is Argus's OPEC correspondent and Dubai editorial manager, Nader Itayem. Hi, Nader. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Jessica. Great to be here. So a lot of people thought that OPEC Plus was going to stick with its current production quotas for at least another month into May, even some OPEC Plus delegates. But it sounds like something changed over the course of the talks leading up to the April 1st ministerial meeting. What was agreed exactly, and what do you think convinced the group to take such action? So what OPEC agreed to do, OPEC Plus agreed to do last week, was first and foremost to begin raising the group's production quotas gradually from May to July. That's a 350,000 barrel per day increase in May, um, another 350,000 barrels per day increase in June, and a further 441,000 barrels per day in July. Um, that's going to be split up on a pro rata basis among all the members, except for Russia and Kazakhstan, which were granted special quota increases every month uh, since February, while all the other countries agreed to keep their quotas unchanged. Um, Russia and Kazakhstan, they're going to have their quotas raised by 39,000 and 6,000 barrels per day, respectively. That's both in May and June, and 38,000 and 6,000 barrels per day in July. Um, and finally, the group also agreed to extend their deadline to deliver um, what they call compensatory cuts until the end of September uh, from the end of July or before that. Um, this is to give countries that were struggling to make up for you know, earlier overproduction more time to deliver. Now, as you say, it was a bit of a surprise. Um, last month, all the talk was about caution and not letting up you know, too soon. Uh, fundamentally, we haven't really seen much of an improvement since then, uh, with really the same demand side concerns still very much at play. So the expectation ahead of that meeting was very much of a rollover of the cuts for at least another month. Now, as you also mentioned, even delicate sources, they were telling us that they believed the rollover was on the cards, say, less than 24 hours before the meeting, the final ministerial meeting. Despite that, though, uh, ultimately the group felt that it, it does see enough green shoots of recovery over the coming months to at least sort of test the water, so to speak, and, and make what it considered to be a calculated risk and raise production gradually to reflect um, sort of a, a forecasted increase in demand over the coming months. Um, Saudi energy minister, Prince Abdelaziz bin Salman, he actually made a point in the press conference after the meeting to say, look, you know, we, we still have another full month of the current cuts until the end of April. But after that, the group felt that there is some room in the market to begin bringing in some of this oil back to the market, albeit sort of in a managed way to safeguard the market. And it sounds like Saudi Arabia is so convinced that they've even committed to rolling back their own additional voluntary cuts. Aren't they the ones that are usually the most conservative? Uh, yes, <laughs> they are. Um, hence the surprise. Uh, but in hindsight, the reasoning, it, it's sound. Um, what Saudi Arabia plans to do is sort of unwind this additional 1 million barrel per day uh, voluntary cut um, that it's been implementing since February, in a, also in a gradual manner. 
Again, it'll be over that three-month period. Um, it wants to bring back 250,000 barrels per day in May, 350,000 barrels per day in June, and uh, the final 400,000 barrels per day in July. Now, the prince, he insisted on the day that this decision doesn't necessarily signal any change in its approach. Um, what he said was, uh, and I quote, sort of, the cautiousness is still there. And he stressed that OPEC Plus will, quote, still have to be mindful of the overall scene and see how things evolve. But at the same time, he stressed that OPEC Plus does need to be flexible. And he said something along the lines of the decision being sort of nothing more than having the guts to test our will and test our system of tweaking. Now, here he was referring to a mechanism that OPEC Plus has set up in December last year. Um, which sees them meet and study the market every month rather than every three to six months as they have been doing in the past. Uh, this, the group argues, that it keeps them more agile and keeps them on the front foot when it comes to determining all market policy for the future. A kind of insurance policy, if you will. So during these monthly meetings, you know, what kind of market conditions do you think that they would be looking for as they consider how they go moving forward? Right. So this whole thing about an insurance policy, this is a this is a critical point. Um, meeting every month and having the ability to tweak or reverse course, it's it's pretty critical to what OPEC has been doing so far. And it's true that, that this decision could be seen as a bit of a risk, but it's calculated. At the press conference, we actually asked whether agreeing on a policy for three months ahead, it could cause a problem. Um, you know, in, in that whether it could create a momentum to, to increase output and ha have all the members expect that they will increase output, which would eventually make it harder to change course. The prince wasn't concerned, though. He, he, he pointed to the fact that the group has already faced this kind of a decision in January when it was supposed to begin increasing production or it had the it was open to increasing the production, but ultimately decided to keep production steady for February, March and April because of market market conditions sort of dictated it, the need to do that. Now, in terms of what would cause a change of course, these would be both supply side and or demand side issues. Uh, on the demand side, I mean, that's been dominating the story since the start of the last year. And it's, as we've been hearing, it's issues like COVID-19 lockdowns. I mean, we're seeing lots of those in Europe, India, the situation is getting worse as well. Now, also the progress made with vaccine rollouts, that kind of thing. On the supply side, however, we're look, basically we're looking at the potential for additional unplanned production increases from countries that are not really participating in the agreement at the moment. These could be countries within OPEC, but OPEC plus, but exempt from the deal at the moment. We're talking Iran, Libya, or Venezuela, or countries outside the group, you know, entirely. For me, there's no real bigger wild card than Iran at the moment and the potential return of its oil to the market. If, and that's still a big if, uh, U.S. sanctions on Iran and its oil sector are lifted um, as part of a return by the U.S. to the, the nuclear deal, the 2015 nuclear deal. And speaking of Iran, there are reports that China has significantly purchased more Iranian crude since January. I understand that some of the crude's origins aren't easily trackable, but does this complicate bringing the U.S. and Iran back to speaking terms? Right. So, as you say, nowadays it is incredibly difficult to accu accurately track these volumes from Iran. And that's really thanks to these increasingly creative methods that Iran has had to resort to to find buyers and outlets for its crude while it's been under the sanctions. Um, yet, despite the sanctions, what we've been seeing since the start of the year is a marked increase in Iranian exports um, 
we're talking roughly from around the 500,000 barrel per day mark or even less maybe uh, in late 2019 to somewhere around 1 million barrels per day and with the majority of that going to China. Now, while that has ruffled some feathers in Washington, I personally don't think this is going to cause any real complications at the moment. Um, after months of almost negotiating through the media, uh, we're now finally seeing some positive signs on the diplomacy front with respect to the JCPOA, the Iran deal. Now, I, I also feel like the Biden administration will allow some time and, and sort of breathing space for progress to be made on that front. But if we are several, several months down the line and still no closer to reaching some kind of an agreement, then yes, I think that's when we might see a reaction from the administration in uh, Washington. So if we can just touch on OPEC plus again, how is the group dealing with the uncertainty around Iran? Like, Do you think that they're factoring the return of the Iranian barrels in their forecasts at all? So when it comes to their own forecasting, what we've seen is, at least formally, the OPEC technical teams have been assuming that Iranian production will remain largely level until the end of the year. It's, it's done that also for, with the other sort of OPEC plus countries that aren't really uh, participating in the deal, as I mentioned, Libya and Venezuela. But that's not really because they believe that to be the case. It's, it's purely for forecasting terms. On, on the Iran issue in particular, it was raised after last week's meeting, particularly how OPEC Plus would deal with both the increased exports that we're seeing today and the potential of rising barrels in the future, you know, should a deal be reached. Now, the message was and has always, you know, it's always remained the same. Once those barrels are on the market or the sanctions are formally lifted, they will be accommodated. This has always been the case in the past. Uh, we saw Libya increase its production dramatically over the last 12 months, and they managed to accommodate those barrels. And if and when Iran returns to the market, they say they will do the same. But for the time being, the issue of Iran is still very much a hypothetical one and a question for the future. And OPEC Plus in general has always said that, you know, it, it does not really want to deal with hypothetics. Uh, when something becomes clear, they will handle it as needed. Thank you so much for your time today, Nader. It was great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's really been my pleasure, and uh, thanks again for inviting me. For direct access to similar in-depth coverage on issues that affect global oil markets, consider subscribing to Argus Global Markets. You can find more information on the service at www.argusmedia.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of The Crude Report.